Welcome to Ashes Pathfinders, everyone. You dedicate Ashes of Creation podcast, now running 47 episodes strong, where we dig into uh, all questions, concerns, comments, thoughts, and news related to Ashes of Creation. I am joined here today with my co-host, Daedalus. Welcome as always, sir. Hello. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Stephen Sharif. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Definitely. Really excited to have you here. It's been a while. Last time I actually got to have a conversation with you of this magnitude was probably back when I visited the studio. Uh, it was a really great time. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed it. It was. So um, we did a little one on we did a little one on one then, too. Yeah, we did. We did. And got a really cool tour of the studio and everything. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So I know we had talked a little bit uh, kind of about what's on the agenda today. I have a lot of questions uh, we gathered from here within the Crusade community, which is my community on uh, Twitch, uh, DLive, everywhere else. And I know Daedalus gathered some questions and then we gathered some from the forum. So we're really going to try and do our best to, to get through as many of them as we can. Um, but by all means, like I said, if you got a uh, Leak a little more information, by all means, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just had this blog post that dropped literally within like an hour, I think, of uh, this going live. <laughs> and uh, the Iron Lion, uh, Daedalus and I talked about it a little bit, and I'm really curious. So no, it's a, it looked like it was a social organization, potentially. I'm not sure if that's going to be accurate within the Kalar, not the, the Veiloon, right? Um, that's correct. Yep. And so it looked like dampening magic, martial combat seems to be their forte. Um, but we had, we had a little bit of curiosity about that. We wanted to ask about since it was dropped today. And, uh, some of that is, um, you know, are those cosmetics that we saw, are they earnable, uh, via like a so reputation these, quest line? Yeah. These, <clears throat> these particular armor sets are earnable cosmetics within the world. Um, this is an organization. This is a military organization that resides specifically within the Kalar race. <clears throat> and um, what you saw in today's blog post was really uh, three distinct uh, variants of that particular armor set that would be worn by the guards of the organization. And as a member, if you choose to participate in the quest line that the organization, the Iron, um, <clears throat> the Iron Lion, has to offer, uh, then you would be able to, as part of your rewards, earn the access to wear those types of... Um, uh, uh, cosmetics. Wow. So we were curious, uh, it's not, this isn't going to be sp specifically tied to a race and this is going to be something that pretty much any user can. Correct. Anybody nice. can participate, but the, the lore that you're reading today, mm -hmm. you know, resides within the Kalar race because that's the origin of this particular organization. Oh, cool. Yeah. They, they recruit members from, you know, anyone who is willing to take up arms in their cause, uh, but, um, you know, their lore and their history is derived from that of the Kalar uh, nice. Empire. Outstanding. We had another question about that, too, which was uh, just out of curiosity, if I was a magic user and I was to interact with them, let's say coming across, you know, quest line, maybe participating with them as a as a player and I'm a magic user, would there be like a different reaction uh, from that organization or from some of those NPCs, et cetera? So while we do intend to have <clears throat> reputation uh, influence interaction for NPCs. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be as granular as uh, a class indicator for that specific interaction. So uh, yeah. I don't think that based on your class, you'll you will see a different uh, quest narrative uh, that you would uh, uh, receive from these individuals. Now that isn't to say that there aren't 
Uh, other uh, uh, quests that relate specifically to your class, there absolutely are. But I'm not sure in this society that you'll see that. That's fair. So I want to go ahead and dig into some questions. We kind of categorize these uh, somewhat in, in the way of uh, the questions that were, were oriented based on the questions we got, kind of categorize them so we can make them a little easier to get through. Um, so related to nodes, we had some questions here. Uh, do you expect to see any any type of synergy with uh, the, like the library and tavern mechanics mentioned previously, like battle maps, et cetera? Um, can you maybe expand on that a bit? Those are two distinct systems. Um, the tavern can exist as a building uh, regardless of node type. Um, so I don't see that <clears throat> there is um, um, any uh, interaction that's dependent on a connection between the library and the tavern. They're somewhat independent of each other. Um, yeah. Right on. And uh, so what, what incentives, if any, would there be for balancing or leveling different type of nodes? Like, for example, maybe not allowing there to be too many of one type, especially with like the scientific node we discussed recently in the, the blog post, knowing that we have airships, right, that could potentially come to pass if you have maybe more than one metropolis, like level six uh, scientific node type. So the benefits to having a broad base of developed um, uh, diversity among the different types is that each type, as we continue on with our blog series on, you know, diving into what makes these types mm -hmm. unique, you'll see that each type has a specific route for either advancing or expediting um, uh, uh, progress within <clears throat> certain types of mechanics and systems within the game. For example, with regards to the scientific node, you know, that all relates primarily to, you know, artisanship and construction, uh, the scientific realm of, of how those things work and granting particular uh, benefits to, to the stones that go into augmenting a weapons and or armor's capabilities, uh, uh, granting certificates for uh, building types and whatnot. <clears throat> While they may be achievable outside of the scientific node developing to those stages, uh, it's significantly expedited and the speed is increased. Accessibility is 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 wider uh, should that node advance. So what you would see if you didn't have a diversity among node types on a specific server is that that particular server's population may lag a bit in unlocking and or advancing specific uh, uh, progress paths uh, forward, whether it relate to you know items, uh, building of freeholds, uh, classes, sub um, subclasses, augments, uh, uh, you know, all these different things relate in some way, shape, or form to one of the node types and and accessing those services. Oh, I like that. I had a had a question here about the library card, which was mentioned uh, recently, right? What are maybe some of the steps to that? Uh, can a non-citizen get one? And um, yeah, if if that's the case, then at what point would non-citizens be eligible for that? So one of the things that we do with regards to to citizenship, as it is a flag that's present on any character. <coughs> excuse me, is a lot of these systems from accessibility standpoint, you know, we have the, the designs we're going to enter into Alpha 1 for and how we believe the different systems and mechanics should be accessible to either citizens or non-citizens, but it's really something we're going to test heavily in Alpha 1 and Alpha 2, which particular system should be present for citizens or non-citizens. So as we get into Alpha 1 and Alpha 2, you're going to see which of these particular uh, benefits are available for citizens or non-citizens. Yeah, I just had someone in chat that was saying Ash's library is going to be more used than IRL libraries. 
<laughs> That's probably pretty accurate, I would imagine. I mean, the library is is such a um, is such an interesting feature. I mean, really, not just the library, all the mm-hmm. all the different types, but it's it's cool. I haven't experienced in another MMO I've played where <clears throat> you have real time updates that are dependent on community interaction uh, to grant other other players this information, this knowledge of a system that should be constantly changing. So, you know, what resources are available, where and how many are remaining, um, you know, those types of, 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 of information are very relevant to a specific group of, of players within our community, right? The, the, gra- the, the gatherers, the crafters, people mm-hmm. who are playing that, that, um, that aspect of the game. And for them to have real-time information granted by other players' experience available to their map, especially when that map has a large fog-of-war type of, of system involved, uh, it is, is a defining characteristic of the library system. And, and it's something that I think players will be able to utilize very well uh, when it comes to dominating your local area and being able to, uh, you know, take from it what you need. Outstanding. Uh, so another question, and I know we're just kind of rolling through these. You all had a lot of questions in the community. Um, I'm really trying to ensure we hit as many of these as we can with the time we have today. So this one I thought was a good one. Uh, it's something I was, I was actually curious about too, which was given that citizenship supersedes all other affiliations, uh, how will it work if uh, two players in the same guild are citizens of two different nodes that are at war with each other? Then they will be at war with one another. Um, <clears throat> so, the I mean, you know, at at I know some people are like, you know, guilds should be first, and other people are like, no, it's great, citizenship is first. The bottom line is, while we have this affiliate structure uh, uh, present uh, within the game, a hierarchy of what affiliation is most uh, uh, important. The bottom line is the player can actually dictate that themselves. Should a member of a guild not like that they their node is at war with with another member's node, uh, they can always renounce their citizenship mm-hmm. uh, and not participate in that in that sense, <clears throat> uh, or they can renounce their guild affiliation uh, for the time being. Uh, the bottom line is though that when it comes to you know what amount of effort is put forth. The node represents the most significant amount of gameplay that a player will experience is going to most likely be devoted to a particular node. Uh, and when it comes to the severity of loss as it, with respect to sieges mm-hmm. uh, for a node or node wars, uh, that is most significant on the uh, citizenship side of things. Um, so for us, you know, making the citizenship of a node paramount in your affiliation hierarchy uh, really just made sense. Um, and you know, those those types of conflicts will come to pass, and 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 it is normal for there to be, uh, um, you know, conflict among family, friends, whatever, you know, guildmates. Uh, and it, it kind of shakes things up a little bit. It makes things interesting. For me, as a player, when I was, you know, leading my guild, I would oftentimes actually have drama or, you know, uh, okay, I'll just, as an example, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of Lineage 2, and I, I loved playing Lineage 2. And there was not a month that went by where some guild member got angry at another guild member, and they would drop party and li- or drop guild and PK them or something <laughs> along those lines, right? You know, some some crazy drama. And then, of course, you know, it's upon the l- guild leadership to kind of hash it out and get get things kind of resolved or whatnot. But I thought this is a, a great um, a mechanic for guild specifically, where there might arise conflict for them to burn off some steam in a 
uh, orchestrated kind of system like a, a node war. Um, it shakes things up a little bit and it makes things interesting. And then afterwards, when all things are said and done, you can reminisce about who was the victor in this little uh, conflict. Right on. So I'm actually going to bypass some of these questions because I'm looking at our time. I want to make sure we kind of hit on some of these. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to hit one more on the node topic, and then I think sure. I'm going to let Daedalus kind of ask them about some of the artisan questions that we had received. Um, talking about node wars, like, um, can they be at any time, unlike sieges and castle sieges uh, that are scheduled? Yeah, so no, no, node wars are currently designed that they can occur at any time um, with a, a defined uh, win and loss objective uh, for either side to, um, uh, to experience. Okay, Daedalus, you want to maybe ask him some of the questions about artisanship? Sure, sure. So just kind of speaking of professions, will there be any crossover benefit to progressing as an artisan? Like, for example, in some other um, you know, MMOs, there's been bonuses for artisanship, like a racial bonus, for example. So I'm sorry, just to define the question a little bit further, you're asking... Are there benefits that relate to other systems based on your progress within the artisanship tree? Correct. Yes. Yes, there are there are benefits that are yielded across the spectrum of progress paths and systems within the MMORPG that relate in some way, shape, or form either to your progression within one of the three trees of the artisanship system or with your progress that relates to certain professions within those different trees of the artisanship system. Hmm, I like that. So when, when we're talking about artisanship mastery certifications and profession mastery certifications that kind of came up in the scientific node uh, blog, specifically for node levels five and six, um, do you have to be a citizen of that ZOI for that node to be able to achieve those certifications? Or can anyone travel to that particular node and obtain that certification? So there are... There are um... There are three states of access when it comes to services that nodes have to offer. There is the non-affiliate state, and that is basically you're not a citizen, you're just a person passing through, can you access a certain service or system? Uh, those exist. Then there is the um, um, affiliate state, which is basically like I have progressed either with an organization that's present in this uh, city, but I'm not a citizen, or I have concluded some quest lines that grant me specific access that non-affiliates might have within the city, uh, and I have access to those things, but I'm still not a citizen. And then there are citizenship-based benefits. Uh, that's where I am a citizen and I have access to certain benefits that the or services that the uh, node has to offer. Uh, with regards specifically to the mastery qualifications that certain cities will offer, um, those can be accessible either through the citizenship benefit structure or through the affiliate benefit structure. The affiliate benefit structure, if you are not a citizen, you may have to complete several rounds of questings in order to access that benefit or service from the city. So you're not completely locked out, but the, but the um, barrier to entry is a bit higher uh, where it might not have that barrier of entry for a specific citizen. Yeah, that makes sense, a tiered system, depending on what affiliation you have. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of the enchantments that you talked about um, that were available at certain node levels, are those on par with what players themselves can craft? So there's, um, there's, now when you say enchantment, are you referring to the enchantment scrolls or are you referring to um, um, stones? Uh, the enchantment stones. Okay, so the stones, so the power stones, the enchantments. 
Um, are those on par with what can be crafted? <clears throat> yes, they are on par with what can be crafted. Um, what they do, however, offer is a, uh, a horizontal spread of additional abilities and or benefits for the armors and or weapons. So, uh, and those abilities and benefits are going to be reflective of the identity of that particular node and relate to its kind of, uh, to its type. Um, but they are on par with other crafted stones, yes. And similar to the tiers we talked about with the certifications, do you expect the runic power stones or enchantment stones to be gated by some sort of tiered system or citizenship in the scientific node? Yes, they will be gated in some way, shape, or form to progression of the of the node itself. Okay, all right. Uh, but it wouldn't necessarily be gated by citizenship or those affiliations that you were talking about before, at least that's not the plan currently? Some may be gated by that, yes. Okay, okay. And, um, and also, to be clear, on those stones, there are tiers of, there are grades of stone uh, as well. So okay. there are multiple grades that offer a, a, um, uh, a vertical progression on the stone's power. Uh, and those grades uh, become accessible and craftable, uh, both at a higher end uh, type of hunting and or crafting, um, and require even deeper material assets, um, higher grade material assets. All right, and kind of just maybe wrapping up on the enchantment and runic power, um, you know, will this be done through a combination of, you know, things that you need to do, or will there be a consumable resource? Think of it like destroying, you know, two basic swords to come up with a plus one sword bonus or something of that nature, or will you also include some sort of um, additional reagent that you need to purchase or find in the world? So the consumption of stones <clears throat> gets socketed into the weapons available uh, and open uh, sockets. So there will be a process to consume the stone in order to socket it into the weapon or armor. And then should you want to resocket that uh, particular power um, uh, stone, uh, you will need to go through a process that will require materials in order to remove the previous uh, enchantment and, um, and place the, uh, the new stone. Okay, and that would apply to essence stones, which I think you mentioned in the blog were permanent. That would apply as well? Correct. Okay, okay. Um, just talking about a couple of other just kind of random questions related to artisanship. In the PAX West panel, you brought up potentially a tattoo artist profession. Can you provide some details on this? Like, for example, will the tattoos be permanent? Can they be replaced? Um, is, there, is tattooing a separate profession or is it more like a specialization path? Um, so it would be a, it would probably be uh, more similar to like a specialization path in the sense that uh, it's not its own necessarily profession, but it's something that's accessible uh, to pretty much anybody. Uh, and I view the tattoos as sort of like a, a character um, uh, uh, character socket, so to speak. So you have these tattoo sockets on your character that you can fill with different, again, tiers and grades of tattoos that have a kind of a give and take relationship, uh, where you, you get, uh, you know, enhancements in one area of your character in exchange for a deficit elsewhere. Uh, and that's kind of your decision as a, as a player, where, what you want to, you know, enhance or, or where you want to specialize, uh, in, um, yeah. So I know there's a lot of questions about uh, the naval aspect of Ashes of Creation. Do you think uh, a profession like shipbuilding will be around at launch? Is that the plan currently? Yes, that is the plan currently. 
All right. Well, that's my artisanship question. Sam, why don't I yes. head back over to you for some more on your end? So, uh, yeah, I did uh, have some other questions here. Uh, this one is really kind of going to be brief, this category anyway, but this is something that a lot of people are asking about related to freeholds. Um, what kind of freehold adjacency, adjacency bonuses uh, do you expect uh, to have for respective nodes node types? <laughs> That's a big question. Uh, um, and that is actually, that is something that's going to be part of a future blog series that we're going to focus on with fair. the freehold system. Fair. So I'd probably save those answers for then. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> what defines a legendary freehold schematic and how is it different from other freehold schematics? Um, you know, this was something that I think uh, Daedalus and I on the podcast Monday, or regular scheduled podcast, uh, we were kind of curious about was, uh, you know, is it going to different tiers have like more placement for buildings on them or what, how does that distinguish like at different tiers or levels? So the idea that I had behind how legendary um, <clears throat> buildings will work uh, is going to relate to the zone of interest that a freehold exists within. So as you know, freeholds are these parcels of lands that you control and on those lands, you get to build up buildings that relate to, you know, whether you want it to relate to housing or crafting or processing, whatever it may be. Um, and that's kind of your decision and direction. Now, each building type and the service that it renders you, the, the significance it has for you, will have a legendary feature that can be unlocked. And the idea behind the legendary feature uh, is that it's going to be granted to um, <clears throat> to specific freeholds within the node zone of influence. Remember, these freeholds have to be associated with a particular node, mm -hmm. must be placed within that node zone of influence, um, and it pays taxes to that node in order for being present there. So each node will have an allotment of uh, excuse me, each metropolis will have an allotment of legendary uh, freehold bonuses that can be granted out to the freeholds that exist within uh, its zone of influence. And those will be uh, uh, for a period of time. You'll have access to the legendary uh, upgrade for a certain period of time. And it'll be, uh, it'll be a mixture of first-come, first-serve kind of citizenship uh, benefit, uh, as well as um, uh, some type of qualifying uh, either quest-related factor or combat-related factor performance, some type of performance-related factor that allows access to uh, the legendary upgrade. Now, once you have the legendary upgrade, you may apply it then to your freehold and you will, you will benefit from whatever uh, it offers you as a benefit uh, for a period of time, at which point the process to claim that legendary will revert back to uh, the node and citizens will go through the process again of trying to claim it. Um, so what makes it a legendary uh, upgrade is that there are only a limited amount available to the citizens within the node, and it is up to that system to claim that uh, uh, particular certificate. Oh, wow, that's fantastic news. Uh, so how about uh, in relation to getting a freehold, right? Like how how is the freehold distributed? Is it something that you earn like the lore and story, or is it more of like a purchasable thing like within the, within the metropolis or... That no so the freehold granting the the uh, <clears throat> the, the freehold flag basically you mm -hmm. you get this kind of flag that you get to place in the open world and that's that defines your perimeter of the freehold in that mm -hmm. location that flag uh, be, is available to be granted at state starting at stage three um, and there is a, a quest line and material component cost uh, for the player to uh, um, uh, fulfill before being granted the flag from the NPC at a stage three or higher node. Wow. So 
this question, we're kind of shifting to a bit of cosmetics. We had some questions on cosmetics. Um, one is, will all races be able to wear all cosmetics? Uh, for example, elves being able to apply the Nikwa. I hope I'm saying that right. Is that the correct the, way to say that, by the way? Nikua. Nikua. Okay. So would a, an elf be able to wear a costume like that? So, you know, for example, like the one that was more, more, most recently uh, released? So all of the cosmetics that are released on the website now to launch uh -huh. uh, monthly, those are uh, inter-race changeable, yes. There okay. will be racial and organization-specific uh, and and guild specific and node specific uh, uh, uniforms that may only be uh, worn when the satisfying uh, requirement is available on the character. That flag is turned on. Uh -huh. So, for example, you may have um, you know a crown that can only be worn by a player if they are a king or queen, meaning they own a castle. Uh, there will be you know guild specific uh, uh, armor that. Uh oh. Steven, you there? I think my laptop uh, fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give oh, no. Steven a reminder in about 20 minutes. To, yeah, it's cool. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, back to that question about the uh, – where were we at? Well, I think you were expanding on the cosmetic question, right? Yeah, the cosmetic yeah where did, where did I uh, where did I fall off on that? I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure because that caught me oh. off guard. Um, we can, we can kind of – Sure, just, just to reiterate one more mm -hmm. time. Uh, the monthly cosmetics that are sold on the website leading up to launch, those can be uh, worn by any race. Um, but there are absolutely um, uh, condition set uh, cosmetics that are required in order to wear certain types of cosmetics. So, you know, crowns for kings and queens, guild apparel for a specific guild, you must be part of the guild or organizations, you must be uh, within the organization at a certain title. There it is. You got back on to chat was reminding us where you left off. Got to love them. Um, so yeah, it's looking at caravan cosmetics. Uh, some of them seem rather large. <clears throat> so in uh, the PvP zone that's around the caravan, uh, how much of the caravan itself would be used in combat? Um, some examples they gave were climbing on top of it, uh, kiting around it. Uh, will it have a different kind of hitbox or line? You know, can you line a sight using it? Uh, hitboxes at all? Um, just something like that in regard to tactics. So all caravans uh, conform to a specific. Uh, uh, hip box maximum and minimum. Um, so there, there, there is some degree of difference in the sizes of certain caravans, um, but they'll never exceed a, a, a certain structure that we've we've set forth for their creation. Um, will I'm sorry, what was the second part of that question? Uh, talking about like their hip boxes, uh, things like that, being able to kite around them. How would they be used in a, a PvP scenario? Yeah, so these are so there's you know two different types of caravans. There's uh, there's system generated caravans for quests, escort duty, node trade, diplomacy, that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's player driven caravans where the where the player actually uh, uh, drives a caravan. You know their hit point pools become one. Uh, the character assumes the uh, defense mitigation um, uh, uh, and uh, mobility of the caravan itself as he's moving it around the battlefield. Can you use it to try to kite player? You know, keep on just trucking. <laughs> yeah, you can try that. And the players can follow you. Uh, and then uh, can you? Uh, try to have you know defenders use line of sight with the caravan. Yes, you may do that. It is a a line of sight object. Oh, cool. So that's we had some uh, questions related to uh, customization for armor. Um, I know we talked about that the you know the outfits and things like that are going to be diable. 
Um, will you be able to kind of mix and match uh, pieces of sets, et cetera, like that? Is that going to be something that's going to be available? Certain certain armors. So it depends, right? There okay. are costume. There are certain costumes mm-hmm. that are full body costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't be able to mix and match pieces there. Um, <clears throat> but there, uh, there other armor. Most armor is going to be on a, a per item basis. So you know there. Are, there are a number of items that are on the character paper doll, and you may mix and match uh, between the different um, armors. And so this is another question. This is going to be the last one related to kind of appearance cosmetics. Uh, but in the character creation program, can we expect uh, some custom creations by the staff instead of like generic male-female placeholders? So you're asking, are there going to be character presets within the character creation? Right. Yeah, there, there will be, absolutely, there will be character presets um, that will be present with regards to hair, facial features, body. Um, these types of presets will be, you know, if you want to just go through and make a quick character that, you know, our character team has kind of predetermined mix and match well these different uh, uh, settings, you can absolutely do that. Right, fair. And uh, I think Daedalus is going to ask a little bit about some of the politics and kind of cultural questions that we had uh, gotten our hands on. Yeah, yeah. So, um I'm not sure if this was asked or answered already. I, I thought there was mention of racial specific spell effects a long time back. So curious if that's still a possibility. I mean, we really want to see some variety here. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of variety. <laughs> uh, but uh, with regards to the uh, racial uh, variants, um, there are still plans to have uh, racial specific augments, I believe, that are present uh and passives that are present as well uh the passives you won't see as much from a a visual standpoint but the augments you will be able to you know notice that uh perhaps similar skills have um, racial augments or modifiers assigned to them even before the subclass stage enters into effect kind of giving players an early look at how the augment system will work before they hit that subclass or excuse me that secondary class uh standpoint um, cool. And those will be racially determined. Very cool. All mm-hmm. right. So, talking about the political potential of nodes, do you expect that would be expanded after release? So, for example, can cities have their own nobility? So, I could be kind of a prince of a node, and my wife a princess. Um, you know, can we go a go full Game of Thrones and have a court and drama and intrigue within the node from a politics standpoint? So, I would say that. You know, I, I don't. I'm, I don't necessarily, um, you know, want to reveal what our plans are for <laughs> expansions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I would say that one of the key uh, development and design standards we hold with regards to nodes is that this is going to be one of the main vehicles of expansion and updates, right? So the way we're constructing this system, you know, going forward into our alphas and betas is with the understanding that as we launch and move to regular updates post-launch, we will be utilizing that system as a primary source for new content. Um, So part of our expansion and update standpoints moving forward past launch is, you know, you're going to have new areas, you're going to have new points of interest, you're going to have, um, you know, level updates, you're going to have skill updates, class updates, stuff like that. But then aside from those things, the node is really where we want to get into the nitty gritty of storyline, of mechanics and intrigue for both the political scene and the government scene. Um, you know, the artisanship updates, the all of those things all relate in some way, shape or form to the node. So I, I would tell you that keeping that in mind, 
uh, yes, it is absolutely on our radar to expand pretty much every facet of the nodes you can see post-launch. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So kind of going more on the racial slant here, um, will each of the races have a unique language or the sub-races have a dialect that other races may not be able to understand? And if so, can you learn another race's language? That is not currently in our uh, roadmap, no. The lang a language system uh, that's diverse between nine separate races uh, is not something that we have roadmapped right now. And okay. I, don't, I don't foresee that being a feature. Okay. Um, now, in Sim's last Q&A with you, Stephen, he mentioned, um, you mentioned something that, about the Tolnar having a caste system. Um, could you ask you know, how you're thinking that will affect Tolnar players? So the caste system really more relates towards um, um, towards the lore of the cult of the Tolnar. Um, I'm not sure from a mechanical standpoint where it will play a role in either character development or um, or normal uh, uh, game mechanics and systems. Um, but from a, from a lore standpoint and a background behind their particular race, you know, that caste system came about because of the diversity that exists, uh, uh, in the many different races that culminated to create the Tolmar. Got it. Got it. So moving kind of from that to more role-playing focused questions, one of the questions that came through was really on tools in game that will kind of help augment role play and improve quality of life for role play. And there was a, a mod for World of Warcraft called Total Role Play that had options like being able to do detailed character sheets, profile creation, biographical data, kind of some tools to help you toggle in and out of character and have a profile you could save and share. Is that something like that plan for um, in-game tools for role play? So from a um, platform standpoint, when it comes to the accessibility of, of basically um, your character sheet from an online perspective and, and perhaps even from their in-game as well, um, you know, I love those types of features. I think they're very conducive to immersive gameplay. Uh, they allow players that have an interest in role play to really deep dive into to their online persona, their character's persona. Um, I think that's a that's a it's a great uh, flavor for what MMORPGs are intended to be. And while everyone may not be interested in that degree of role play, um, it I think enhances the general gameplay of of all players really. Uh, so from our perspective, you know, the more features we can include that help to augment the ability for role players to role play within the game, the better. And all of the above you just mentioned, I love those systems specifically. Um, you know, I, I personally have enjoyed them in the past, um, and I would love to accomplish as much as we can uh, from that perspective. But uh, right now, um, you know, we're focusing on on getting uh, the foundation in place first, and we'll see how many of those we can incorporate by launch. If not, after launch is always a possibility for those types of things. Great, great. That's good to hear that that's, you know, you're, you're thinking about those types of things. So I think that does really improve quality of life for players. Mm -hmm. um, kind of along those lines, too, are, you know, I think this was mentioned before, but just to confirm, will there be custom tech can you know emote something to another player and have a custom text versus a standard you know animated emote 
Um, I don't think, no, we don't, we don't have plans for that as it stands. But to be honest, I don't think we've done a deep dive yet into the emote system uh, for chat. Okay. Okay. And then along those lines, are you planning to have any type of rolling commands? Like, yes. You know, there will be some rolling features uh, for sure. Yes, there will be roll features in the, com in the uh, command uh, syntax for the chat. Okay. Um, Sim, I think you've got some more questions for Stephen. Let's let's move to those. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So there are a few questions here, kind of relevant or related to rather uh, characters and loot. Um, so, if if as an individual, uh, I go up against two to three players who have similar stats compared to me, if you're more skilled or I'm more skilled as a player going up against these two to three other players with similar stats, um, what what's the chance that I I'm going to be able to outplay them? With that being the scenario. So you're asking what role does level, class composition, and um, gear component play against the the variance of skill? Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> right now, you know, I I, don't, I wouldn't want to give a hard number on that specifically, but I would say that from a balancing standpoint, you know. I want to take all of those into account, and I believe each of those have a relevant place uh, within the the uh, interaction of players. Um, you know, skills should definitely play an important role, especially when we are aiming for a hybrid system of combat that incorporates action-based uh, mechanics, because skill is a determining factor, specifically with regards to that entire portion of combat. Um, but at the same time. You know, class composition should matter from a balance standpoint, so that you know the 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 uh, um, <clears throat> the trifecta of balance that is the Holy Trinity plays a role uh, and is present because that creates interesting kind of strategic gameplay from cl class composition in the world. The gear composition is a is an indicator of progression and success and time dedicated towards the game, and we want to reward that aspect of it, uh, as as well as um, uh, you know, the, basically just. We want to make sure that each of those systems are relevant. Is there a hard number I can give you with regards to how much skill will play over those other three? Um, no, I don't think there is necessarily a hard number, but I would say the term is relevant uh, mm -hmm. with regards to skill. That's fair. So I know I know this this comes from someone in the community who who's really had a lot of questions about the the potential for uh, mixing tab targeting and action combat. Um, concerns on how the experience would play differently as like a Hawkeye, for example, an APOC castle siege as compared to the Ranger Predator, maybe with a 75% action combat in the MMO in terms of like gameplay. Uh -huh. What was the question? Um, how would the, that experience be different between like between, those two? Between the Predator and the... Hawkeye and like APOC. And the Hawkeye. Okay, got it. Um, so... You know, it really it really depends on how you build those those classes, because I don't want to say, you know, here is the predator experience and mm -hmm. here is the Hawkeye experience. And it can mm -hmm. only be played in these two fashions. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way that you're really going to focus on, you know, those two particular kinds of of classes, the directions you could take them in, because there should be multiple routes that they can go in, uh, is that a predator is going to use stealth and and its kind of burst ability uh, uh, to to get in and 
uh, take down particular classes that it's best against, right? Uh, whereas a Hawkeye is going to potentially uh, keep its distance in the fight and lay down um, um, a consistent kind of DPS uh, uh, against, again, particular targets that they're best against. Uh, the, the idea isn't that there is a set path on any class specifically, uh, but that uh, the player has some customization over what their role in combat could be. Um, and, you know, the idea when you, when you get into um, whether it be PvE or PvP, you know, you have certain classes, you have certain roles, regardless of the class, you have certain roles, you have support lines that kind of stay protected in the back and, and give their DPS, you know, buffs or heals for their tanks that are trying to control the battlefield, uh, uh, or, or take on incoming damage. Um, you know, you have these tanks that want to get up front and be the focus of the DPS's target so that they can take the heat off of their, of their, uh, 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 DPS line. And then you have the DPS that are trying to take out the support so that the other types of roles can go down quicker. Um, you know, the idea behind the Trinity system and, and how our class counterplay should work um, is that uh, you will have certain classes that can excel best in certain types of roles. Uh, and there's some diversity amongst those roles and, and, and how you can best perform uh, uh, what you're trying to achieve. Um, so I don't want to say necessarily, again, that Predators or Hawkeyes need to go in one direction. But as an example, that, that is what I would envision you know, one role could be for those two classes. Outstanding. Um, so we had another question too, and this one uh, was was something I was glad it was brought up because it reminded me of the mention of this mentorship system that you had actually mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it was middle early twenty last twenty eighteen last year. Uh, right. But there's going to be a system where players uh, can command others for their contribution, a way to build reputation. Um, something that could be displayed numbers or, or just anywhere uh, similar. Well, there's, there's definitely going to be, you know, tracking systems for, for definitely for contributions among players. The mentor system really kind of relates to, you know, one of the, one of the key issues that MMORPGs have had in the past that I've recognized as a player um, is that MMORPGs typically have, uh, you know, their start date. And then from a new player acquisition standpoint, if, if, if players do not traditionally start within a number of months of that, of that MMORPG start date, the MMO is great for retention of existing players, but after those few months periods, you traditionally don't see a high retention among new users for established MMORPGs. And the reason for that, in my opinion, one of the reasons for that, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is that MMOs traditionally have this starting area dilemma where, you know, at the beginning of the game's life, that starting area is very popular. There's a lot of stuff going on. One of the greatest aspects of an MMORPG is the social aspect. So you have a mm -hmm. high, you know, fluidity of social interaction with other players because there's a high population within those areas after a few months go by new players come into an empty zone they come into a dead zone this now zone is irrelevant the player population average level has moved on to you know near closer to end mid or end game whatever the point of life cycle is you come on in the mmorpg one of the things that our mmo is going to do well in my opinion because of the node system is going to be maintaining relevancy for for areas and zones uh, throughout the life cycle of the MMORPG, making sure that population is still present and relevant within those starting areas because the nodes help to level up those areas and keep players coming back for quest lines, for services, for citizenship benefits, whatever the, the, the case may be, so that as new players enter into Ashes of Creation, they get to enter into a hustling, bustling city. Now, 
they will not experience the same type of, you know, uh, uh, build development rush of the world that was present early on. But our experience is intended to be a linear experience, not the same cookie cutter experience that every player will have uh, throughout the life cycle of the game, because that's the established curated content that's present quest A to B to C to D. Instead, they're going to experience a history of the server that they get to participate in. They get to have a role in defining. Um, you know, that's that's the objective of the node system and what makes it so appealing, in my opinion. So the mentorship uh, uh, aspect specifically is something that goes into place to capitalize on that feature, that, that what I just discussed. Mm -hmm. The mentorship goes in to incentivize players that may be more established within the game world uh, to interact with new players, to interact with, with new characters. Now some will say, hey, I've seen these types of mentorship programs before mm -hmm. and players just game that system and create new you know characters on uh, alternate accounts in order to reap whatever benefit is present there. And that may still be the case there may still be players that tr that try to game that system. We'll have some safeguards in place so that it's not just then localized and contained to you know that character's uh, uh, stable of, of accounts, uh, but incentivizes them to interact with active other active uh, uh, players basically. Um, so you know the idea there is that it augments that notion of keeping these starting areas relevant and conducive to a social atmosphere that makes MMORPG so great. I love that. You know, it was like six months. That was probably like nine months ago. Sometime after you had mentioned that. And it's something I've been contemplative about uh, regarding mentorship for a long time. So that actually helped to outline a, a lot of some of my own questions about it more specifically. That's really great to hear. Um, so here's some fun ones, right? I'm going to, this is about ships. Um, and this one, can bounties be put on a particular ship? <laughs> that's a that's a great um, idea that... <laughs> Gosh, I think it was almost like three years ago we were talking about like a bounty system that would be cool to place on buildings and whatnot. But hearing it for, as, from a ship standpoint, it, yeah, absolutely. Like that that is that is a cool system that it interacts with the community, makes things kind of out of the norm and mm -hmm. and situational. Um, right now, we don't have plans for that, um, but uh, you know, that, there's always expansion post-launch that those types of ideas are great. And especially, you know, those types of ideas and other ideas that I've read on our forums or on discord. Mm -hmm. um, one of the great things, one of the good sides of the sword for having an open development uh, is that you get to hear great ideas and you can take them and run with it. Uh, and you know what, th that type of idea I love is, is a, is a fun and uh, um, interactive uh, one. Right on. Um, so, Again, about ships and sizes and ship skins. Will vessel skins be locked size or size locked rather? Small to small crafted, large to large crafted, etc. Um, like a canoe skin being locked to only small vessels, uh, or maybe you know, can it be applied to like a galleon? So there is. <laughs> it'd be difficult to make a galleon look like a canoe. But <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a big canoe. Um, that'd right? be a very large canoe. Oh, yeah. No, there there are classes, and within the class structure of vessel uh, are size uh, restrictions. Um, so you know. The idea there is, you know, from an asset production standpoint, we have to define specific categories of vessel and or vehicle, uh, you know, because we have to have consistency among the different classes. Um, so, yes, there is a size value assigned to different class vessels. Outstanding. One, this is a very simple question, but how will summons work in game? 
so there are um, three different types of quote unquote, well, actually, I guess there's four. There's four different types of quote unquote summons, right? Mm -hmm. There's um, the mount summon. So everybody can have a mount that's present in their inventory and they can, you know, summon up their, in effect, they summon up their mount, right? It appears Mm -hmm. next to them and they can ride them and then they can de-summon them. Um, There are cosmetic pets that really the only role they have is to look pretty. Uh, and those can be activated um, by equipping a cosmetic pet slot, uh, which is another item that you'll have in your inventory. Uh, and when equipped, the pet will be spawned and will persist around you for however long you have that item equipped. Uh, and then there is the um, battle pet summon. And the battle pet summon will augment, will take a portion of your power in order to exist. Uh, and it will take a portion of your experience gained in order to progress. So uh, these pets will, will be a progression that players can level up. Um, but the idea there is not to make it a meta that you know you must have a pet because the DPS is always higher necessarily with a pet. Uh, really, it's to give your uh, character kind of this um, horizontal uh, 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 power slider that you can be beneficial against uh, particular types of foes based on the pet that you have leveled up and the benefits you know it gives you in exchange for the power you give it. Um, and then there is the um, summon, the summoner class. So the summoner class, you know, its primary vehicle uh, is through a summon. And um, mm-hmm. uh, there are certain summoner classes that can either summon one pet or, or multiple summon pets. Um, and um, the idea there is it is a vertical slide of power. So it adds to your power based on your uh, progression within that adventuring class, within your summoner class. Uh, and you gain access to stronger summons as you level up. Um, and that's the range of quote-unquote summons. Love it. Love it. Great information. <laughs> the air quotes. Uh, so this question is uh, good old TL. Uh, she, she's actually dropped a lot of questions for us. But I really like this one, too. It's uh, how does money get into the game? Uh, if mobs are going to like drop materials, what gives coins? So uh, coins can be rewarded for completing specific quests. Uh, Coins can be awarded um, through taxation and uh, can also be awarded uh, through services such as player-run businesses. They can be awarded through the sale of goods to the shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can be be awarded for uh, redemption of uh, our, our ticket system, basically. So, you know, what we call it, what, what I don't know if we've really ever discussed this before, but our tickets, you know, I've said in the past, mm-hmm. I don't want monsters to drop coins, mm-hmm. right? You know, for, for the, I mean, unless the, unless it makes sense for that particular monster, like, you know, bandits to have point on them, then, then it makes sense. But, mm-hmm. you know, I kill a wolf or I kill, you know, a, 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 a bunny <laughs> or something and it drops me a, a, a little bag of coin doesn't make quite much sense. No. So in, instead, what I think is is beneficial and also plays towards the regionalized system of our economy uh, is that uh, particular monsters will drop uh, a, a, a item that we coin a certificate or ticket right Mm -hmm. and that item could be a wolf's pelt it could be you know a a a bunny's you know tail whatever whatever the deal may be you can collect these things now they are also droppable so if you were to die you would drop a portion of them um uh as well so they're considered kind of gatherables now you can take those tickets and or certificates and you can redeem them um at 
the, your local node nearby at a hunter's lodge or whatever, and they'll give you coin for them. Uh, the first, you can also utilize those tickets as if they were gatherables, and you could transit them via caravan to another region where that particular monster may not spawn, and you might get a higher return or value for them. You can hold those tickets and or certificates for a period of time, and uh, they might they might have um, an age factor to them that yields a higher benefit. Uh, but the idea the idea there is, you know, this is a quote unquote resource that you're gathering within regions, and it has relevancy across the economic map. Um, you know, that's kind of another idea behind that as well. I don't even know what the question was there. I might have gone off on a huge tangent. I mean, you, you went off on a tangent, but we, we appreciate that about you, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <It's> <laughs> I see Margaret's looking at me from the window or not. We'll see. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh. <clears throat> so just a few final questions, and we're, we're doing pretty sure. good on time. I'm, I really appreciate you kind of like just digging into these and kind of kind of helping us kind of knock them all out like this. Uh so a few questions that are off topic and then a couple of my own. Uh, so someone asked if Steven is still running a guild in AOC, which I know, I know that's uh, let's put, pretend it's a hypothetical, purely hypothetical question. Sure. Uh, if you were to run a guild in AOC, which no type would you suggest your members join? So first I want to say that I will not be running any right. guild nor affiliated with any guild. Exactly. Creation. As a matter of fact, you know, it was a very uh, almost heartbreaking moment for mm. me because I resigned as as guild leader of my guild that I had ran for, you know, 15 plus years. And we had thousands of members um, in it just because I wanted to make sure there was no uh, possible claim of nepotism, you know, in, in right. being a guild leader and or guild affiliate with also being the head and developer of a company. Anyways, um, but if I were to choose a node type, I wouldn't reveal that answer. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The moment I say a, the moment I yeah. say a no type, you know, then, then that becomes, oh, this is what Steven would do. Now we have to do that. So yeah, yeah. I apologize. I wouldn't give you that answer. <laughs> Sometimes I've got to like include questions just for the, the no, sheer No, it fact. was a valiant effort yeah. for sure. That's a, it was a nice try, yeah. so to speak. But yeah, I can't, I can't say that. Sometimes these are the kinds of questions that get thumped and I put them in there on purpose too. Like, right. So um, I don't know if you can actually answer this. It could be something you could hint at. I'm not even asking for a leak here, but it, what's the newest feature idea that's been added to the project recently that we haven't heard about? Hmm. A new feature. What was the newest feature added? I don't know. You know, from a from a feature standpoint, mm -hmm. we try to have those as defined and laid out in a map internally so that we can um, you know assign them as tasks in our uh, in our task uh, tracker mm -hmm. and hand it out and, and scheduled into the development process so you know the newest feature would have been probably a long time ago mm -hmm. um, I can't think off the top of my head what the newest feature would have been yeah I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that one. It's so fair. close. I know. Yeah. It's so close yet so far. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's sorry. okay. So I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I got a couple more <laughs> here and then we'll kind of wind this down. Um, okay. That, that armor uh, render leak. Now I was going to say armor render leak. It was really something you shared on the discord a while back. I know Daedalus yeah. and I were like pretty excited. Um, 
I'll say from from my own personal perspective, um, those are honestly kind of some of the types of armors I was trying to I was hoping to see kind of rendered at some point. And I know that that really resonated really well with a lot of people. Um, is there any kind of timeline that you can actually share uh, outside of what we kind of know as far as like blog posts, uh, you know, monthly live streams, et cetera, where we can kind of expect to see more rendered uh, gear and just cause not even just cosmetic, but items, uh, buildings, et cetera, maybe maybe in the future? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, part of what uh, Margaret and the community team have been able to rally you know, steady schedule of information that's weekly uh, going forward, um, you'll definitely see more rendered uh, uh, material leading up to Alpha 1. Um, but do I have a specific date for you on with regards to armor specifically and seeing the models like you saw today? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the date, uh, but I know it's in the schedule. So that's fair. It's in the schedule. So soon trademark. <laughs> soon trademark. There mean. you go. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, okay. So uh, <laughs> you can't see this. You can't see this, Stephen. But okay. I'm. Uh, does everybody see this? What's this? Uh, oh, this is a BlizzCon mug. Um, actually, this is a mug I got from when I, I actually visited you all up at the studios. Went to BlizzCon, right. got the mug. Why am I bringing up a BlizzCon mug? I'd like to replace this. Um, is there like uh, any uh, pot potential opportunity here in the near future where I can buy an Ashes mug so that when I'm streaming or doing the podcast and I go to take okay. a cup of, you know, a swig of my coffee here um, that uh, I can kind of represent? <laughs> um, there is there will definitely be from a merchandise standpoint, you know, an expansion revamping of our merchandise. But that's going to be post. Uh, that'll probably be post Alpha One. Post Alpha um, One. So so really, you know, our 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 entire momentum, you know, mm -hmm. moving forward, obviously, is preparing for Alpha One mm -hmm. currently. And, um, you know, from a merchandise standpoint, we really want something that, you know, we have thousands of players in game. They're testing out the game. They're giving us the valuable feedback we need. And then, um, you know, then we'll start to hire people who are specifically focused on, you know, marketing and merchandise um, uh, as we have a, a playable game in the hands of our players. Fair. Hey, Liz, do you have any other things you can think of we'd want to ask uh, Stephen about? I know we've gone through at least my list. Uh, did you have anything else left? Yeah, there was kind of one final question regarding cosmetic pets. Mm -hmm. I know um, some of my guildies have been asking about those. Is there any plans to have a penguin or penguin variant? As far <laughs> as There's definitely um, biomes that would be conducive to some type of penguin-esque pet. Uh, and I do foresee that there there is a a uh, realm of influence that could include something that resembles in some way, shape, or form a penguin. Yes, Very I think cool. that that's about wraps me up, Sim. Yeah, yeah, that's all the ones. I and and a look at this, we are right on time, right hey. on time, right? We did good today, Stephen. Yes. I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we had a special show today. Usually we're on Mondays, but uh, definitely appreciate your time. I know that you're very busy, wearing a lot of hats, uh, so to speak, and and uh, that your time is valuable. So we appreciate you taking the uh, the time to come on the show. Um, Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. being here. You guys have an awesome discussion, theory crafting. Definitely. And I think, you know, you guys do a great job of it and the community appreciates it. So we appreciate it. Too. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Steven, uh, it's been Steven Sharif, everyone, CEO and creative director, Rashes of Creation, our most favorite MMORPG in development. We are looking forward to everything it has to offer, offer uh, everyone here on this stream. Thanks for showing up, hanging out. 
watching. This will be up on YouTube in the next couple of days. Again, Stephen, thank you. Community, thank you. And until next time, we'll catch you on stream. Have a great week, everyone. Take care, Thanks, guys. everyone. Later, Stephen.